his writing, we see that he's running away from his enemies, first and foremost, but that he's in the wilderness. <laughs> and many of us, uh, when we have those wilderness seasons, we start to doubt what God has told us in his word. Some of us, when we're in the wilderness season, we start to doubt and become discouraged of what God has promised us in prayer. Today, Psalm 64, we've titled the message, Learning to Trust in God. Did you write that down tonight? Learning to trust in God. And, and you know what you learn when you trust God? You learn and you learn about his generosity. That's one of the things that you really learn when you're trusting in God. You learn that not only he's a good God, but that he's a generous God and that he provides. And that's exactly what David here is going to learn and teach us in Psalm 64, because we see even from the previous chapters that he is very to be with the Lord in every situation, in every season, even in the wilderness season. Now, there's ever been times in your spiritual walk where maybe it's not going the way you wanted it to go, and instead of plugging in more into the Word of God, we push that aside because of doubt and discouragement. Now, David here is teaching us that even in the wilderness season, you must come to God with a desire to be in His presence, with a desire for prayer now. Because without prayer, we become very inadequate, and inevitably, we become unfruitful. Do you know that without prayer, we, our lives are unfruitful? They're very unfruitful. They become dull. We, we, we fall into a rut because of lack of prayer. Character is made by prayer, and our life is perfected by prayer. Without prayer, we are very helpless. We're very helpless people without prayer. So let's look at the prayer here that David now cries out to God in Psalm 64. And we're going to see here four major things tonight. Number one, to seek the Lord's protection. Number one, seek the Lord's protection in prayer. Number two, ask for the Lord's wisdom. Ask for the Lord's wisdom. Number three, trust in the Lord's victory. <laughs> And finally, number four, give the Lord the glory. So what is it that we can do tonight in Psalm 64? We can seek the Lord now for protection. We can ask Him for wisdom. We can trust Him for victory. And we can give the Lord glory. So let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord, we thank You. We come, Lord, to seek, to ask, to trust, and to give. Lord, this is what we're doing when we're learning to wait on You. We're seeking asking, trusting, and we're giving, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us, that we would learn what it is that you would have for us. Lord, that we would not let fear grip our hearts and our minds. Lord, we ask that you would expel fear, expel fear of the enemy, the fear of the flesh, that we would not live on any other fear but the fear of God. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. Together, amen. So Psalm 64, this is what David said as these others are conspiring against him now. And they're complaining against him. And he's saying he's now, he's going to raise a prayer now, a meditation, a need, and a request to the Lord. Listen to what David says here. This sounds very much so like the prayer that we cry out to God today. 
And it says, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation or in this complaint or in this need or in this hour of need. Preserve me or preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Now, I want you to underline the word fear of the enemy. Because what David is here is saying, protect me. Protect me from what? Protect me from being fearful. Protect me from the fear of the enemy. Now, do you see why it's so important that we go to the Lord and seek the Lord's protection when it comes to fear? We said before that the fear of the Lord mobilizes us, but the fear of man paralyzes us. I'm going to say that we pray that it sinks in your heart. The fear of the Lord will mobilize you. It will move you to action. The fear of man will paralyze you. Now, how many of us paralyzed recently this year have been held back by the fear of man here this is what exactly why David is coming to the Lord in prayer because he wants to really forfeit forsake he wants to receive protection from fear from the fear of the threat of the enemy you know we are being conditioned so much in the world that we live in right now in the climate that we're in right now to really fear the threat of that which is outside fear the threat of that which is outside of our control now you know how we handle that how is it that we navigate through seasons that we are facing things of uncertainty or that we're out of our control we go to prayer like David did and say lord protect me from the fear that's outside of my control <laughs> because when when really we start to dwell on fear notice what it does we can never give God the glory. Notice, fear will never give God glory. You know what gives God glory? Is living a life of faith. Living a life of faith. In fact, when we are more fearful of man than we are of the Lord, you know what it shows? It shows a lack of trust. And then we're holding on to something that God doesn't want. In fact, this is why David says to you, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation or in this prayer, this complaint. Lord, protect me in this hour of need. Hide me now from the plans or from the plots of the enemy. Notice what he says here in verse 2. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Lord, would you protect me, Lord, from the plans of the enemy, of those that are coming against me? Would you protect me and that I would prevail and I would rise above now the plans of those that come against me? Of any threat that can possibly challenge me? This is incredible here because you see an ultimate dependence on God. Dependence on God. When you're depending fully on the Lord and on nothing else, notice what happens when you fully depend on the Lord. You can move from a heart that is filled with fear to a heart that's filled with faith. Because fear and faith can't coexist in the same heart. They can't. And that's why David is saying this. He's saying if the, if the enemy is making you afraid, notice this, he's almost already won the battle. <laughs> if the enemy can control you by fear, do you think that you're living a victorious Christian life? If the enemy can control your life by fear, are you living a victorious Christian life? Because a person that has a calm heart is a person that has a confident soldier in the Lord's army. Are you confident in the Lord's army? 
Or has the enemy disarmed you by using fear? You see here, David is fleeing, but he doesn't want to be disarmed. He wants to go back into Jerusalem. In fact, he was running away, but now he's making his way back into Jerusalem. Some of us have been running away and have to make our way back into Jerusalem. And notice, he didn't ask God to change these circumstances. In fact, he said, Lord, fortify, strengthen my heart, and deliver me from fear. Deliver me from those, notice, that are sinful people that are speaking against me. In fact, their words are almost like as sharp or as dangerous. <laughs> now, notice this. Not only do, uh, oftentimes in the climate that we live in, we're, we're scared of the threat of the unknown, but also of the danger. Now, notice what it says here. Who sharpen their tongue like a sword. Lord, protect me from those that attack me with bitter words. We're very dangerous words now, and bend their bows to shoot the arrows. Words and against someone's name, you know what we're doing? We're shooting arrows at them. We're shooting arrows at our brothers and sisters oftentimes when we use bitter words to speak about them. Here he's saying, Lord, protect me from the fear of those who are speaking against me. Because they're saying stuff about me. You know, I've heard recently, you know, I was reading... You know, and I love this author that was talking about integrity. And he said, when you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. Oftentimes, we're too busy trying to conserve our reputation when God says, make sure you're taking care of your character. I'll take care of your reputation. Now, notice what happens here. He's trusting in the Lord. He knows others are speaking against him, against even his reputation. So he's taking it to the Lord. He says this, that they may shoot in the secret at the, at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and they do not fear. They have no fear. They're attacking fearlessly, Lord. In fact, this is the attitude of the enemy. You want to see the attitude of the enemy is here. Verse 5, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They're out there and they're talking bitterly. And you know what they do when one person talks bitterly? It encourages somebody else to jump in and not only to listen, but also to speak against that person. <laughs> it's so difficult to hear someone speaking about someone and saying something, right? But it's more difficult to stand in that very same place, in that same room, and you know what? And to refrain from jumping in. That's why it's so important that we as believers... We know that our character, our words have a lot to say about our character. They really do. In fact, look at what they do. They encourage themselves in this evil matter and they talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They say, you know, we can do whatever we want. Who's going to see us? We're above everything else. Who's going to see us when we set up traps for David? You know what this shows when you say, who's going to see me or who's going to find me out? This shows an arrogance. This shows a pride to get away with sin. Shows also in verse 5 and 6, it really says, who, can, who will ever see us? They are forgetting God is here omniscient. That is the character and the nature of God. He is omniscient. He is the God who knows everything, who sees everything. He will always whisper in your ear, no one will ever find out. <laughs> No one will ever find out. 
This is what the enemy does. He, 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 he comes in and with an arrogant pride, he sets traps. In fact, those that are of the enemy here in verse 5, notice what it says. They plot, they plan, they have evil intentions now. Verse 6 says this. They devise iniquities and we have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of a man are deep. And their hearts of hearts, they have realized and they think that no one will ever see them or they don't care that no one will see them or that they will not be held accountable. Well, you, if you lived your life knowing that you're living your life with accountability, would it change the way you talk? If you had to give account and you were held accountable to everything you say, would it change the way that you spoke about others? I think oftentimes that we forget that we're accountable to God. And the enemy here is saying, these that are coming against me, they're coming fearlessly because they have forgotten that they are held accountable. And that's what you see in our even culture today, an attitude of recklessness, of we can do whatever we want. Because we have forgotten to teach people accountability. That what you say, things that you do matter. <laughs> He's saying, this is what the, how the enemy is doing, how the enemy is coming against me, so now he is going to trust the Lord for victory. Now, have you, do you see how first he seeks the Lord for protection against the fear of the enemy? And then he asks the Lord here for wisdom now as they're speaking against him in verse 3 and 6. But now here he's going to trust the Lord for victory. Can we trust God for victory even when others are coming against him? Yes, we can. And so did David. In fact, in verse 7, he says, but God, underline that in your Bible, but God, yes, they're coming against me. Yes, there's a threat. Yes, people are saying one thing. Yes, I feel the pressure from this family, or yes, I feel the pressure at work, or I feel the pressure in the, the climate that we're living here that, it, that, it, that is so dark right now. I'm feeling this pressure, but God. So when you're trusting in the Lord, that phrase will be a phrase that consistently comes up out of your lips, but God. But God what? It says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow and suddenly they shall be wounded. God will defend me. God will come and rise for me. He's going to deal with them. In fact, they're going to be stumbled by their own tongue. It says, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue now. And all who see them shall flee away or will shake their heads at them. They're going to scorn at them. Why? Because David here is fully confident that God was going to defeat his enemies. But God, now notice how he gives God the glory here. He's going to seek the Lord. He's going to ask the Lord. He's going to trust the Lord. But now he's going to give God glory. Every season, in every season you're in life right now, even in the season that you find yourself right now, are you giving God glory? Are you giving God glory? That in the things that you speak about or in the things that you're going through, there's always a season. In every season you're going through, there's always an appropriate time to give God the glory. It's always appropriate to give God the glory. Now notice what David does. He teaches us this in verse 9. And because of this, when God defends me, it's going to be for his glory. <laughs> when God defends you, it's not going to be for you. It's going to be for his glory. When God vindicates you, when God preserves you, when God protects you, it's going to be for the glory of of God. Now notice verse 9. All men shall fear and they shall declare the work of God. 
They're going to proclaim, this is God's mighty act. This is God. They'll realize that God has done amazing things. For they shall wisely consider his doing. They'll know this is a doing or this is a work of God. Here you see that David, in his faith, is expecting the impossible from God. Are you expecting the impossible from God today? Because as he gives God the glory, he says they're going to realize who God is and what God has done. Verse 10, notice this, the righteous or the blameless now shall be glad in the Lord. What are you glad in today? In the Lord? Are you glad in what the Lord wants to do? Are you glad in what the Lord can do in your life? Notice that it says, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him. Glad in the Lord. They'll rejoice in the Lord and with confidence will trust in him. It speaks of someone that trusts in the Lord. And when you start to trust in the Lord, you know what you really start to do? You start to rest. <laughs> to rest. The beginning of trusting in the Lord the beginning of resting in the Lord. There's a lot of times in our lives that, that, that we're so fatigued spiritually, that we're anxious spiritually, and that we have not rested because we're not truly trusting in the Lord. And you know what happens instead of resting? We are consumed. We are overwhelmed. But here David is telling look what's going to happen. Even as this is going on, but God, we're going to be glad. <laughs> it speaks about an attitude. It speaks about a rejoicing. He speaks of a response. I'm trusting God. Therefore, nothing's going to steal my joy. And when I trust God, even when everything is going around me, I can be glad. I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear. In fact, I'm going to be mobilized and moved in joy, it says here, and trust in Him. And the upright, or those that are confidently trusting in the Lord, there's in heart shall glory now. They're not going to be living under the bondage of the fear of the enemy. They're going to be living under the fear of God, seeking the glory of God. You see, in this psalm, Psalm 64, really what, what David is teaching us is, number one, is to not live, to not live under the bondage of fear. Number two, what really David teaches us here is that if God is doing something in your life, no one can stand against God's work in your life. No one can stand. If, if God is for us, Paul says, then who can be against us? And finally, number three, really what he's teaching us is that concerns about the future. Notice this, church, because this is one of the hardest challenges that we face often, even right now. That concerns about the future can be almost cast uh, to the side now because the Lord controls our future and God has plans for our lives. And maybe we're going through something, but we can remember that all things work together for what? For good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You know, that's a promise. You see, the problem oftentimes that we don't, we don't, are not blessed in the promises of God is because we're not walking in the promises of God. We're walking in what the world is saying instead of what God is saying. Right? And we have to choose today to say, Lord, I'm going to walk, I'm going to step into your promises that if you're for me, no one's against me, where you say that everything works out together for good because I trust you're in control. You know what really keeps you from really living a life that God's in control? You wanting to be in control. <laughs> and oftentimes we want to be in control of everything. We want to be in control. We want to have security. We want to have safety. But when you know, Lord, you're in control, you're willing to 
relinquish, release, and trust him. Lord, we trust you. Because we know that you're in control. We're not in control. And here David is saying that. Now notice Psalm 65. As he continues now, and he goes from this prayer into praise. <laughs> He's so confident in that. Have you ever gone to prayer and say, Lord, I'm just going to give this to you. And, and after that, you're just so joyful. I just I have a reason to worship. I gave it to God already. I'm in control. I have a reason not only to rest, but I have a reason to rejoice. When you pray, you have a reason to rest, and then you have a rejoice. <laughs> because you're trusting in that God is in control. And if God is in control, I can rest, and I can rejoice today. I can lay my head. He say, he is watching over me. <laughs> it's so peaceful. I'm trusting that God is in control. Now, notice what he's praying, because it says here in Psalm 65, verse 1, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And he's saying, Lord, praise for you is awaiting God. And he's going to praise God not only for his deliverance, for his salvation, but he's going to praise God, Lord, thank you for providing for me. I pray this prayer in Psalm 64. Now this few Psalms from 65 to 68, it's all based off one word, doxology. You know what doxology means? The doctrine or the worship of God. Doxology. Praying the Lord, adoring God, exalting His name because of who He is. We're raising doxology, worship to the Lord. It's exalting the Lord. And here he says in verse 1, Praise is awaiting you, O God, to you, and to you the vow shall be performed. Underline, to you the vow shall be performed. Because we all have made promises to God that we never fulfilled. <laughs> this season made a promise to God that we have at one point in our lives, and when it came to now performing that vow, it was not fulfilled. You know what kind of vow David made before the Lord. He said, Lord, I vow that if you take me back into your presence, worshiping you, and I have every intention to fulfilling the promise and performing the promise now, or performing now that vow that is a result of a promise that you gave me. Now, do you see that David here knows that as God answers prayers, you know what David is doing? He's going to fulfill that vow. Let's, let's keep reading here, verse 2 and 3, because it says, O you hear, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me, for, and for our transgressions you will provide atonement for them. Now, first of all, you start to see that as he's worshiping the Lord, you see one thing here in verse 2 and 3 uh, of Psalms 65. That David is saying, Lord, number one, you answer prayers to all who comes to you. Lord, you answer prayer, notice that, to anyone that comes. And, and not only do you answer prayer, you also forgive. We need to come to the Lord daily in forgiveness. Because although he's saying in verse 3, I am overwhelmed by my sin or by my state or, or my sinfulness, you receive everyone and you provide atonement. Atonement now. Verse 3, nobody is beyond the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ and the atonement that God has atoned for your sins. Therefore, he's coming to the Lord to praise him, and he's saying we all can come to him in forgiveness. What a blessing, verse 4. Notice what he says. Blesses the man you choose 
and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Oh, this is amazing here. We shall be satisfied. <laughs> Can't be satisfied. Oftentimes, it's because we're chasing everything that we're not supposed to be. You know, in, in, a, in a time where we're dominated by greed, by the pursuit of things, and greed, really what it does, it really is, is wanting more but never being satisfied. That's, that's really what it is. And greed, what it does, it, it kills gratitude. But you know what, what David is? He's content. He's satisfied in being in the presence of God. It really makes us pause right here in this verse and ask yourself, well, what satisfies me today? Well, what is enough? Because when you're in the presence of God and you realize what it is to be in the presence of God, it's saying here, your goodness, your presence it satisfies me. In fact, let's read that verse here in the end of chapter, in the end of verse 4. We shall be satisfied with your goodness, with, the pre with your presence of your holy temple now. What satisfies us? Your goodness, Lord. In fact, in verse, from verse 5 to 8, he's saying he is the ruler of all nations. He says, by awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us. We will see your hand, and by your works, you're going to answer us. Again, he's confident. God's going to answer. Our God is our deliverer. Our God is our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. Not only will you answer, not only will you forgive sin, not only here in verse 4 it says that we're satisfied in your goodness now, but you are our confidence. When you trust that God is in control, how do you live? You don't live in, you live in godly confidence. Godly confidence. Are you living in godly confidence today? Confidence that God is in control. Confidence that yes, He blesses you with His goodness in His house and you are fully satisfied in Him. Now, you know why he is confident? Because he knows that God is powerful. Have you forgotten the, the strong hand and arm of God? Notice what he says here. And of the far off seas, they're going to realize and have confidence in you, even from the farthest parts of the earth. Why? Because verse 6, notice, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. Lord, if you, you made the mountains... <laughs> If you clothe the mountains with the power of your hand, can I not have confidence in you, Lord, that you can stand before me? In fact, not only with your hand, you're so powerful, you also quiet the raging seas and the storms with that powerful hand. It says in verse 7, you who still the noise of the seas, the raging seas with your hand, you can make something that is raging be still. <laughs> And he goes on and says, the noise of their waves and the tumult of the peoples. In fact, when people are, are, are raising now a chaos, the nations that are rebelling, you can humble them and quiet them with your strong hand. Verse 8, they also who dwell in the farthest parts of, are, are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. Lord, you're in complete control and others stand in awe of your awesome wonders. You visit the earth. Now I want you to know this. Because not only is he here proclaiming God's presence, but he's also proclaiming God's provision. Would you remember that? That God's provision is God's visitation. 
Every time God provides, it's, it's, it's a form of his manifestation and his visitation. This is why he says, you visit the earth. What does the Lord visit the earth? With rain. And he's speaking about the presence of God here. The, the Lord's visitation upon the earth. Notice, you visit and you provide. Now, let's read this. It says, you greatly enrich it. Now, you visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The rivers of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You provide and you prepare it. Now, doesn't that remind us that where God guides us, what does he do? He provides for us. If he's preparing something for us, he's also going to be providing for us. He's going to visit us there, and he's going to meet us there. In fact, he's saying, you have made your rivers very abundantly full now, and you, are, you have given us a fruitful season, and you've provided it, because it was you that you prepared it now. In fact, verse 10, it says, you water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its Growth. Now, what does David realize here? That every of provision, every blessing is coming from where? From the Lord. Lord, you're the one that blesses. When it comes to growth, we should look to the Lord. You bless the growth now. In fact, he calls here this year the year now of goodness. <laughs> when I was reading this, I was thinking, Lord, can we cry out for a year that you could crown us with a year of goodness? A year of favor, a year of providence. 11. You crown the year with your goodness. Lord, with your favor, you have given us providence. You bless us or you crown us with the year of bountiful harvest and goodness, with, about, with abundance, even, notice here, even in the hard ground, abundance overflowing think that it wasn't going to flow it is overflowing and it says here and your paths drip with abundance they drop on pastures of wilderness and on the little hills or on the hillsides they rejoice on every side even where it seems impossible now there it's being blessed have you ever been in a place where you think this is impossible for us to be able to see the blessing of God in this area of our lives where there where it seems now he's seeing the blessing what is it that David's teaching us? There's an emphasis here on God's goodness and there's an emphasis on God's generosity. And have you ever thought about that? God is such a generous God. I mean, think about that. Just contemplate, meditate. God, you're so generous. You are so generous to me. You've given us so much favor, Lord. Your goodness satisfies me. Your goodness is, is running after me as we would sing it. Here, what David is doing is singing that very song now that every rain, every full harvest, every blessing is from God. And he's showing now his delight in his creation. The Lord is doing this for himself. In fact, verse 12 says, They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and on the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. and The valleys are also covered with grain. They shout for joy and they also sing. Can you rejoice and sing? Can you rejoice and sing in the very fact that you know that God is generous? You know, oftentimes to, we, we start to become very concerned or more concerned with, a, with the resource instead of with the source. And oftentimes we ask the Lord, Lord, 
I'm so concerned from the resource that you're going to provide instead of going directly to the source. Do you remember the woman at the well? The woman at the well was concerned about Jacob's well, and she was looking at the resource instead of looking at the source, Jesus, that was right there. I think oftentimes we become so distracted and we, start, we have to stop looking at from where is God going to provide instead of God is going to provide. And this is exactly what here David is saying. God, you're good, you're generous. I'm not going to be concerned about resources. I'm going to look to the source and know that God's going to answer me. Right? Let's look at here Psalm 66 as he's continuing to praise the Lord here. And he says here, make a joyful shout to God all the earth. And what is he shouting to the Lord for? For his miracles. That he is the way maker. Not only God is good, not only God is but also God is great. God is good. God is generous. But also in Psalms 66, God is great now. Because he's great, we're going to praise him because of what he has done in our lives. And this is an invitation to praise. In fact, notice what it says here in Psalms 66 as it continues. It says, make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing out. Sing out, it says here, the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Let's come and praise. Come and praise together. Let's say to God, let's honor his name. In fact, notice what he says here. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Why can you praise God? Not only for who he is, but what he has done. How awesome are your works, Lord. You're in control, Lord. Not only are you good, you're generous and you're great. Verse 4, all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Now notice this. This is a global invitation for all God because of his works. An invitation for all creation, all the earth. This is why he says all the earth. Verse, in verse 5, no, notice here, he continues and he says here, come and see the works of God. You know when you worship the Lord, this is a, it's a declaration, it's a proclamation. They're saying come and see. Look at the work of God. What, what is the work of God? He is awesome in his doing. Look what God is doing. Look at the awesome miracles towards the sons of men or to, towards all of humanity. Look at what he has done. He's turned the sea into dry land. Would you remember that? He's turned the sea into dry land. He's now reminiscing that the Lord has been faithful to the nation of Israel. And where they had to cross the Red Sea, what did the Lord do? He parted the sea and made it a dry land. The Lord, you rescued us and from the bondage of the world, and you made a way where there was no way. This is so awesome that he's historically looking back and saying, Lord, thank you because you have made a way and parted the sea where we thought it was impossible. We've seen a way, and we can rejoice now. We can cross the Red Sea. We can cross the Jordan. You've defeated our enemies on our behalf. This is what he's saying. They went through the river on foot now. First the sea, Egypt, going towards the Red Sea, but then the river, Jordan. <laughs> Isn't this a beautiful picture? You know, for, both, for us here as believers, we have to go through both. We have to cross both. We have to cross the Red Sea and step into now us trusting the Lord out of the world into a path to the promised land. 
But then we also must cross the river, and that's the Jordan. You know what happens when you cross the river, the Jordan? You're experiencing the fullness of God and all the promises he has for you in the promised land. The promise, problem sometimes is that we have just crossed the Red Sea and we remain in the wilderness and we never cross over the Jordan. <laughs> you know what happens when you never cross the Jordan? You remain in the wilderness for your entire spiritual walk. And you never experience everything that God has for you. But here he's saying, Lord, we thank you because you turned the sea into the dry land and we went through it, the river by foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Lord, you're in control. You have great power, Lord. You watch every movement. Don't let them exalt themselves. So verse 8, it's a national proclamation. Oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise be heard, who keep our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because even as you took us out, you can praise God because he's done one thing. He's tested you, and in the testing, he's purified you. You know there's a reason to worship the Lord for the testing? <laughs> because what testing you come out purified thank you lord because you tested me and when you tested me i was purified like silver what is it what did it say in peter that we ought to rejoice because we were in the fiery furnace for just a little moment and what is what's, what's happening in that fire moment in the fiery furnace of testing that the lord is melting away the impurities of our life and oftentimes we want to get out of that fiery furnace of, of that test. And the Lord is saying, no, I, I, I really need to now melt away more of the impurities to make you more now whole. Make you more pure. Notice, let's keep reading here in verse 11. As he has rescued and guided. You have brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs now. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Lord, we've been through all of this, but you rescued us, you guided us, you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. This is why I'm going into your house with burnt offerings, because you brought us out, and I will pay my vows with which my lips have uttered and my mouth have spoken when I was in trouble. Now, notice, there it is, another promise. When I was in trouble, I spoke with my lips. When I was in trouble, I uttered with my mouth that, Lord, if you rescued me from this sin or if you took this, this, this really anxiety or if you took this, this attack or, or, or this even uh, thing that I was under bondage, Lord, I made a vow to you, God. <laughs> but now look what he's saying. Now, my, as my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble, now I will offer the sacrifices and I will perform those sacrifices that I promised. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat and animals with sweet aroma of rams. I will offer burnt Bulls with goats, come now and hear. First come and see, now come and hear. Why well, come and hear? Because it's his, pray, it's his praise going up to the Lord. He rescued us. He guided us in the wilderness. He took them to the land. He enabled them. He defeated their enemies. They claimed their inheritance. Now come and hear. Now look at his affirmation here as he's praising the Lord. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. <laughs> Do you see that? Come and hear. I will declare what he did for my soul. What has God done for your soul? That you have a reason to declare it. 
come in here. I'm going to declare what God has done for my soul. I'm going to keep my promises of when I was in trouble. And you know what he's speaking about here in, ver in these verses? A total dedication to the Lord. This is why I'm sacrificing to God. Because there's a total dedication of God. There's a fear of God, of what he has done for me. He says, I cried out to him with my mouth, and he was exalted with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, this is a very important verse here. Because in verse 17, it says, I cried out to God for help. Verse 17, and he extolled with my tongue, or he was extolled with my tongue. Now, notice what he's saying here. In verse 17 and 18, because he's praising the Lord with his tongue. He was exalted with my tongue. But verse 18, it says here, but if I regarded sin in my life, or if I accepted sin, if I recognized sin in my life, and I accepted it, he would have not listened. Do you, do you see that in verse 18? If I re regard iniquity, or if I keep sin in my heart, he would, or the Lord would not hear you think the Lord can hear or receive our praise when we're living in sin? He's saying, I recognize that he can. If I would have never confessed my sin, and I would have kept my sin in my heart, God would not have listened. You see, this is why we have to learn that ongoing sin can really block effective, an effective life of prayer for all of us. An effective life of prayer can be very so easily blocked if we regard sin in our life. And what David is saying, I confess my sin. You know, there, we, we, we regard our sin, we recognize our sin, but we're unwilling to confess it. You know what we have to do after we confess it? We have to forsake it. <laughs> because God doesn't answer prayers when we're holding on to our sin. You see, really regard our sin means that we're approving something that God condemns. When we, when we recognize the sin in our hearts, you know what we have to do? We have to immediately judge that sin. Judge the sin. That's not something that God approves of. We must confess that sin and forsake it. Otherwise, God cannot work on our behalf. Because God cannot stand on the side of unconfessed sin. Therefore, David says, if I would have regarded this sin, then Lord, you would have not stood for me. But Lord, I have confess my sin and therefore you stand strong and on behalf but certainly God verse 19 has heard me he has attended to the voice of my prayer wow open line of a communication with the Lord when your prayers start with confession there's always an open line of communication with the Lord when our prayers start with Lord anything that is in me that doesn't please you Lord we confess right now and, and say Lord would you so that you can my prayer. So that not only you can listen to my prayer, but notice you can attend to the voice of my prayer. Not only that you would listen, but also that you would answer. God answers prayers. But he answers the prayers of those that are willing to come in total dedication and in repentance. Notice he ends this psalm, verse 20. Blessed be God who has turned away, who has not turned away my prayer, nor is mercy from me. God, you haven't turned away my prayer. You have not turned away my supplication. Lord, you have not turned away my request. You've been so gracious in the way you deal with me. It's in 2 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 9, that says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some count slackness. You think that God is slack concerning his promises or he's taking his time? No, that's not, not the Lord. The Lord is not lagging it. That's what he's saying. The Lord is not taking his time. In fact, what he's doing, he's being patient with us, but is long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why oftentimes we think, Lord, are you taking a long time to come for your church and you're slack concerning all these promises of ultimate and absolute redemption? No, he's not slack concerning his promises. He has a purpose when it comes to timing. And that purpose when it comes to his timing of every promise is that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why can he praise the Lord? Because he is his provider. He answers prayers. The goodness of God, the generosity of God. Can we pray right now and ask the Lord that he would also allow us to have the same attitude?